Amen. Well, let me welcome you into the final week. This is week number five, the final week of our teaching series where all through the month of uh, December, really beginning in late November, we have been thinking together about the voices of Christmas. Now, this is our final Sunday morning service uh, before Christmas, but it's not our final service before Christmas. Because as all of you know, we have a Christmas Eve service planned for this coming Thursday night. Christmas Eve has become, a Christmas Eve service has become a tradition for us here at Brookstone. And we're excited every single year to celebrate Christmas Eve with a time of communion together. Now, I do want to make an announcement to you right now. It's a really important announcement. So everybody tune in really carefully and listen to what I'm getting ready to tell you so you won't miss this information. We are having our Christmas Eve service this year, but we have made the difficult decision to do that service online only. We are not going to be gathering uh, for an in-person Christmas Eve service this year uh, because we want to be wise, we want to be prayerful, and we want to make safe decisions for our church family. With the COVID spike as it is right now, and as you know, COVID is spiking all around the country uh, in these days, Western North Carolina is not exempt from that. There is a, a real spike happening in our hospital system. I've talked to some folks in the hospital system who have expressed to me that uh, they are nearing capacity. They've had to open another uh, intensive care unit uh, because of COVID. Over 100 people in our community right now in the hospital admission with COVID. And the, the, the Christmas Eve service is a unique service for us uh, for a couple of reasons. One is because we put everybody in one service, and so that means it's a, it's a very crowded service. It's also a very popular service, and so it really is a service where we just crowd in shoulder to shoulder and, and uh, even put out extra chairs, and it's just a really, really full service. Uh, the other thing that's unique about that service is that uh, people travel in for it, literally from all over the, the United States. They come to be with family, and so they're flying in, traveling in, and then, and then we would be coming together and, and really huddling together in a really tight gathering. And, and in these days, that just doesn't seem to be the smartest thing for us to do. So, uh, you know, we want to make sure that we're being wise about our services and the decisions that we make, and we're not making any adjustments to our Sunday mornings but Christmas Eve is a service that we can do online only and still host it. So this coming Thursday night at 9 o'clock, we are going to stream this service into your home. Uh, it will be a wonderful service. It's going to include beautiful music. It's going to include a brief message. There's a beautiful video element this year. And then we're going to take communion together. And so I want you to be ready at your home. Gather your family around uh, or uh, get your communion elements together and have some bread, have some juice, and be ready. And Tracy and I uh, will lead you together through communion and we'll look forward to having uh, that time together this coming Thursday night. Uh, we'll look forward next year to being back together in the building on Christmas Eve, but this just seemed like the better part of wisdom uh, to, uh, to do it this way this year. So all of that announcement to say this is the week of Christmas, this service and our Thursday night service remaining in the Brookstone family Christmas. Now, as all of you know, each week uh, during our Sunday mornings, we have been being reminded of some Christmas songs. We've been listening to these classic Christmas voices that every time we hear these songs, it takes us back, many of us at least, it takes us back to our childhood 
And these are the songs that we remember when we come to Christmas. So we've been having a little challenge to remember uh, who these artists are. And so here's the first one. I want you to listen for a second, and then if you know the name, uh, I want you to shout out the name of the artist. Let yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. Next year all our troubles will be I know you know the song. Do you know who the artist is? Shout out her name. Ella Fitzgerald, that's it. Ella Fitzgerald goes a ways back. Now, last week I gave you a little bit of an insight as to what one of our closing songs would be. We only have two this week, so here's the last one. Just wanted to end with this. <laughs> I'm not even going to ask you if you know who that is, right? I mean, there's no mistaking who that is. You, you don't know how... how um, close I came to trying to do the little leg shake and the little lip thing, but I thought, you know what, I'd rather, you know, uh, go to heaven with my dignity intact one day, so I decided not to do that, but Elvis Presley and uh, Blue Christmas, that's classic. Well, it's been a lot of fun, hasn't it? I mean, it's just been fun listening to those songs every week and, and remembering those things, but the more important voices that we've been listening to are these biblical voices. And as you know, each week we've been looking into these nativity passages in Luke 2 and Matthew, well, Luke 1 and 2 and Matthew chapter 1, uh, and, and listening to the voices, really leaning in to hear the voices speaking into the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. This is our last week in it, so let me just remind you of the things that we've talked about over the previous four weeks and if you've missed any of them, you can jot them down. We began by talking about the voice of preparation. That was the voice of Zacharias and of his son, John the Baptist. John was the one that said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare you the way or make straight the way of the Lord. It's the voice of preparation. You should be prepared for Christmas, not just for you know, family gatherings and Christmas presents. You should be prepared to receive the Christ of Christmas. Voice preparation. Number two was the voice of promise. This was the voice of Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, who came to Mary and said to her that she would conceive a child, even though she was a virgin, and that this would be a fulfillment of the promises of Isaiah chapter 7, the voice of promise. Number three was the voice of surrender. This is the voice that you had to lean in a little more closely and listen a little more carefully, because this was the timid, quiet voice of Mary who said, be it unto me according to your word. I am the handmaid of the Lord, the servant of the Lord. She gave her amen to the plan of God for her life, the voice of surrender. Last week, we heard the voice of peace from the heavenly host, the angelic choir. By the way, didn't our kids do a great job last week with that little uh, heavenly host that joined us up here on the platform? But we heard the heavenly host in the Bible singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward man, the voice of peace. Today we're going to wrap it up by hearing the voice of proclamation. Would you jot that down somewhere? The voice of proclamation. And we're going to hear the voice of the shepherds. So you read, or you follow along as I read. I'm in Luke chapter number 2, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, in those days it came to, or it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up 
from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now that's where we finished our reading last week. Let's continue on today. Verse 15 says, And it came to pass... As the angels were going away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, that is, they returned from Bethlehem to where they were keeping their sheep in the fields. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them." So if you heard an amazing story or if you were given an incredibly important bit of information that would be life-changing, maybe even life-saving for people that you loved, your friends or your family members, how long would it take you to tell them that news? It's a pretty good question to think about, isn't it? If you were to be given knowledge that people that you knew did not have, and that knowledge was vital to them, how promptly would you communicate that information? Would you pull your phone out and immediately begin to text them and say, you have to know this information? Or or would you just dial the phone and call them and when they answer, just shout the information? You have to know what I've just found out. Or or maybe you would say, I want to cover all of them with one bit of uh, communication. And so you would go online and you would post it on your social media feed and you would make sure that everybody who followed you on social media knew it. What would you do and how quickly would you do it? I really believe that for all of us in this room, if we thought the information was important enough, I mean, if it was 
literally a life or death, a matter of life or death, then I think we would do anything that we had to do to get that information to them. I think we would go to great personal cost and even risk. We would, we would make great personal sacrifice in order to make sure that the people that we loved would have the information that we had been given, if it were a matter of life and death to them. There was a movie that came out earlier this year. Some of you may have seen it. it was, it's the simply titled 1917. And this movie is um, loosely based on the true story of a soldier in the British Army during World War I. His name was Lance Corporal Tom Blake. And in the movie, uh, Lance Corporal Blake is tasked with delivering vital intelligence information to the front line troops. And all radio communications are out in the field. There's only one way that he's going to be able to get that information to them, and that is that he is given a piece of paper, a communique, that is to be delivered to the commanding officers on the front line. And the only way he can get it there is to just run through, just on foot, to run through enemy territory and to cross the front lines and to put himself in great danger to get to the people that mattered to him, including his brother who was in the, in the platoon on the front lines, to get the information to them that would save their lives. And he was willing to risk everything, even if you saw the movie, you know in the movie he gave his life so that that information could get there. Now, in a similar way, well, in a much more profound way, to be sure, but in a similar way, God has given us information. He has made known to us information that we now need to make known to other people. Christmas has provided for us the information that our loved ones need to know. In fact, I want you to take your pen if you're a note taker. I know many of you have a pen in your hand. I want you to look at chapter 2 of Luke and verse number 15. And I want you to circle at the end of verse number 15, these two words, made known. Will you circle that? Made known. They say, the shepherds in verse 15 say, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. And so they did. They went and they saw those things. And then if you'll skip to verse number 17, listen to what that verse says. And when they had seen it, when the shepherds had seen it, they made known everything that they had seen and heard. It's the exact same word in both verses translated made known. God made something known to the shepherds. The shepherds, in turn, made those things known to everyone that they came in contact with. Now, the word that's translated made known is a word which means, it's, it's the, it comes from the same uh, root word as the word know or knowledge, and it means to take the knowledge that we have been given and to give it away, all right? To make it known, to take what has been revealed to us and to reveal that knowledge to someone else. Um, it's exactly what the shepherds did. And the word made known is closely related in meaning to the word in the New Testament that's translated to preach. The word preach, every time you see it in the New Testament, the word means to proclaim 
or to make something known. Now, some of you may say, well, that's what you're doing right now, Pastor. You are preaching. You are proclaiming something because you have the gift of preaching. Well, in all actuality, I don't have the spiritual gift of preaching. And the reason I don't have the spiritual gift of preaching is because preaching is not a spiritual gift. I do have some spiritual gifts that serve the ministry of proclamation. But I want you to understand that preaching is just not simply a pulpit activity. We are commanded to preach or to reveal truth or to proclaim what we know to be true as we go through life. Listen to what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 10, verses 6 and 7. Jesus speaking to his disciples as he sends them forth, he says, But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach. As you go, preach, and say to them, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, Jesus says, guys, I've told you, I've revealed to you that the kingdom of heaven is here. Now you go throughout these villages and communities, and as you go, you go preaching. Now, did that mean that everywhere they went, they set up a pulpit, they gathered a crowd, they said, take your Bibles and turn, and they proclaimed a message? No. It means that as they went into the marketplace, as they engaged in commerce, as they sat around a table at meals, as they sat around a campfire, as they were going throughout their days, they were preaching or proclaiming as they went. Here's what I want you to see today, that preaching is not simply the pastor's thing. We're not all pastors, we're not all preachers, but we are called, all of us, to preach. If you understand, would you shout amen? Does that make sense to you? We're called to go in to proclaim or to preach. And that's exactly what these shepherds did. They proclaimed it everywhere. In fact, look at verse number 17. It says, they made it known abroad. Now, the truth is, they made it known everywhere that they went. They didn't go a lot of places. They didn't, they didn't travel very far. I mean, the Bible says in verse 15, they said, let us go up to Bethlehem. So obviously, when the angel came to them in the night, as they were watching their flocks, they weren't in Bethlehem. They were near Bethlehem. They were actually in an area that is known as Beit Sahor, right outside of Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Beit Sahor means the house of of the shepherds. And it's the, the area is named that because there are many, many caves in that area, many, many stable caves where shepherds could keep their flocks. They could feed in the fields in the daytime. They could stable them in the caves by night. That's where they were, a couple of miles away. So they didn't have very far to go, but everybody they encountered as they made that two-mile journey, they told them the truth. Now you may say, Pastor, I, I don't have a lot of people to proclaim to. Well, you've got a few, right? You may not travel a 1,000 miles in your life, but you'll travel a few. And there are people within that sphere, within that circle of your relationships and your influence that you can preach to, you can proclaim like these shepherds did or make what has been made known to you, make it known to them. Now sadly, and I truly am, am sad to say this, but it's the truth, right? And we ought to speak truth. Sadly, most of us are not very good students of these shepherds. Most of us don't follow their example because we know from, from studies and simply 
pastoring and, and from uh, the, the way uh, Christianity has lived out largely in the Western world, most Christians don't share Jesus. They don't reveal to other people what has been revealed to them about Christ. In fact, the, the statistics are overwhelming. Over 90%, 9 out of 10 people who claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ will never in their lifetimes ever lead anybody to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Because most of us are not very good students of these shepherds. But I want to help that change. And part of our ministry passion here at Brookstone is that that would not be the case for our church. That the general statistics would not be true of us. And that we would, in fact, find our voice. Find our voice. You know, that's a phrase that is used when an author finally gets published. She found her voice. Or when a singer who has always and only sung in the shower and in the closet finally, you know, screws up their courage and steps out on a platform somewhere and sings a song, they found their voice. Or when a speaker has been afraid to say what was on his heart, afraid to speak in front of people, and finally he does it, they will say he found his voice. Well, I want to help us find our voice, our voice of proclamation. Okay, And we're going to do this by looking at the example and hearing the voice of the shepherds today. But let me begin by asking you a question. I think it's a reasonable question to ask if we're trying to find our voice of proclamation. And here it is. What do you think it is that would motivate us as Christians? If, if the statistics are true and 90% of Christians don't share their faith, um, what do you think it is that would motivate us to actually begin to preach, to proclaim, or to reveal or share with others, make known to others what we have learned to be true about Jesus. What do you think would motivate us? Now, by the way, I know the reason that most Christians don't, and that's because most of us are afraid to speak about Jesus because we don't know how and we're afraid that if we try, we'll mess it up or we'll be rejected, and so we just remain quiet. And so... I want to help us get past that fear today and discover what it is that will truly motivate us. Now, somebody might say, well, you know, if we truly believed that Jesus or that Christ is someone worth knowing, would you jot that down? That would be good motivation, wouldn't it? If we really believed that, that Jesus Christ is somebody worth knowing. In other words, here's the way we could say it. If we had really good theology, if we really understood who Jesus is, if we had a good Christology, we, we really recognize and understand the person and the work of Christ. This is exactly what the disciples had, or I'm sorry, the shepherds had, and what uh, they shared. Look at verse number 17 again, chapter 2, verse 17. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying, which was told them concerning this child. Now read the verse carefully. When they had seen it, Mary, Joseph, and the babe lying in the manger, they made known abroad not what they saw, but what they heard. Not what they had observed, but what they had been taught or what had been said to them. Why didn't they go talking about what they saw? Here's why. Because what they saw was the most ordinary thing that you could ever 
imagine, they didn't go out of the stable telling everybody, we just saw the cutest baby we've ever seen. It's the cutest child ever. They didn't say that. They didn't say, you wouldn't believe how much hair this baby has. I mean, we talk about, when we see an infant, we talk about how beautiful they are and how, how uh, precious they are. They didn't go out saying that. They didn't go out saying, we went and saw this child. There's a, a, an orb of light around his head, golden in color, emanating his glory. He has a halo. They didn't tell anybody that. You know why? Because he didn't have a halo. There was no halo floating above the manger. And when they looked at the infant Jesus, he didn't look any different than any other infant they'd ever seen. He looked as normal as any infant that they'd ever watched. Now, he was the most non-normal. He was the most unique infant ever born because he was the son of God conceived by a virgin. But he didn't look any different than any other child. So they didn't go out saying, let me tell you about what I've seen. They went out and said, let me tell you about what I've learned about the child that I've just seen. So what is it that they began to share? Well, what is it that they had been told? You see it, verse 17 says, they went out and made known the saying which was told them concerning this child. Well, what what had been said to them about the child? Look at chapter 2, verse number 11. When the angel Gabriel speaks to them uh, from from the sky above the hills outside of Bethlehem. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David uh, is a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. It means he's the Messiah. That's what they told about this infant child who had been born, that he is the Messiah, the one that we've been looking forward to arriving. And then they went up to Bethlehem, chapter 1, verses 32 and 33, remind us of what Gabriel had said to Mary. Look at chapter 1, verse 32. He shall be great. He shall be called the son of the highest. The Lord shall, God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there shall be no end. He goes on in verse number 35 to say he is the son of God. Now don't you imagine that Mary communicated all of those things to the shepherds when they came? I imagine she did. I mean, they, they come looking for a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. They find this child. They come rushing in. They speak to Mary and Joseph. They had to have said, we're here because the angel choir came, sang to us about glory to God and the highest peace on earth. Gabriel, the angel, told us that the Messiah had been born. Is this him? Well, don't you think Mary said it is? Let me tell you what Gabriel said to me nine months ago, that he's going to be a king, that he will reign forever, that his kingdom will never end, that this baby in the manger is the Son of God. That's what they had been told. And don't you know that Dave, or that uh, um, Joseph told them what the angel Gabriel had said to him as well? Now here's my point. That when the shepherds left the stable and they went out saying to everyone what they had heard about Jesus, they were saying, Son of God, conceived of a virgin, the King, the Messiah, one who will reign forever. They had good theology. What they were saying was correct. Was that, though, what motivated them? I would suggest to you that we all have good theology, don't we? I haven't told you anything this morning about Jesus that most of you didn't already know. 
that he's the son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, who came into the world of a virgin, who uh, is going to reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there'll be no end. We would all say, amen, I knew that. But we have good theology, but we still don't go out and make known what has been made known to us. So while good theology might be a good motivator, it's not apparently all the motivator that we need. Second thing that might be a good motivator is that it might be if we believed that it's tragic when people don't know Christ. If we truly believed that for someone to remain in, the, in darkness and not know Christ is a tragedy. I want you to imagine this moment when the shepherds have assembled in the stable cave with Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. We don't know how many shepherds came. The Bible doesn't tell us. We can assume it was a few, not a lot. So a handful. Uh, very often it's depicted as three or four. We don't know. But let's say we're safe in saying that in this moment, when the shepherds arrived, there are, let's say, five, ten, at least, to be sure, fewer than a dozen people in the world who know that the Messiah has been born. Mary, Joseph, and a few shepherds. And yet, right outside the stable cave, there are people going about life, bustling through the busyness of the season, dealing with the stress and the anxieties and the pressures that they were dealing with, and they had no idea that mere feet away from them, the Messiah was laying. The light of the world was there while they walked in darkness. I mean, Remember verse 7, chapter 2, verse 7? Why did they lay Jesus in a manger? Because there was no room for them in the inn, right? So Bethlehem was full. It was busy. The, the taxation, the census had called for everyone to come to their hometown. And there they've assembled. And, and all of these people are going about with their burdens and their cares and the oppression of the Romans and the heavy taxation. And they're concerned and they're struggling. And they're dealing with similar kinds of stresses that you and I deal with. And outside the walls of this church and in the houses next door to my house and your house and in the, in the classmates who sit next to us in the classroom and the people that we work next to on the assembly line or at the hospital or in the teller line, the people that we engage with every day, they are carrying that lostness, that blindness, that burden, and they don't know that the grace of God has been revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And the light has come, yet they're still in darkness. And so it is a tragedy, isn't it, when people don't know Jesus? It is. And I would just say to you, if you don't know Christ, it is a tragedy that you remain in darkness. It is a tragedy that if you reject Jesus, you will be lost forever. The Bible says that one day, all men and all women will stand before God and the books in heaven will be searched and men and women will be judged out of those records of our deeds on the earth if we've rejected Jesus and the book of life will be searched and the Bible says whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire forever. It is a tragedy for a soul to go to hell when Christ has come and Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christmas has occurred and Easter has occurred and people can have life. And if we really believe that, if we truly believe that it's a tragedy, then isn't that enough 
to motivate those of us who have the knowledge to make that knowledge known. Those of us who have the light of the gospel to give that light away or to shine that light to our loved ones. What will motivate us? Is it good theology? Is it a knowledge, a burden, a genuine concern for people who are lost? Well, I think these shepherds had that genuine concern, but we have it as well, and we still don't share too often. There's a third thing that these, these shepherds had, and I think this is the key that will motivate us to share the gospel. And that is simply to say that their joy, what motivated them to share was their joy in experiencing Christ. That gave them their voice. The joy in experiencing the presence of Christ, the, the, the presence of God, gave them their voice. Look at verse number 16. Chapter 2 and verse number 15 tells us that after the angels uh, leave them, they say, hey, let's go up to Bethlehem. Remember, a couple of miles journey up to Bethlehem. Verse number 16, and so they came with haste. Now, the word haste means with eagerness, with joyful eagerness. They're coming to see this one that they have learned of. They're excited. They're filled with joy because their world has been invaded by this miraculous event of the angels appearing and telling them the good news that the Savior has been born. They come with haste and they find Mary and Joseph and the babe uh, uh, lying in a manger. Verse 17, when they had seen and heard, when they saw the infant and they listened to Mary and they listened to Joseph, then the Bible says that they went out making all this good news known. And look at verse number 20. And the shepherds returned. They returned where? Back to the fields. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Here's what I would suggest to you. If y'all listen, I want you to say amen. Don't miss this. I would suggest to you that what motivated these shepherds to go and tell everyone that they saw about the child Jesus that had been born was not just their good theology. They heard and learned the right things. And it wasn't just their concern that everybody else would know it, though they were concerned. It was the fact that their ordinary and mundane lives had been engaged, had been impacted by the presence of God Almighty. The light of the angels had shined into their lives. The light of the gospel had shined in. They had experienced his presence. And it was the joy of the presence of God that sent them out to tell everybody they knew, everybody they met about Jesus. And I would suggest to you that your good theology and your genuine burden needs to be baptized in a fresh encounter with God Almighty in order for us to finally say with joy, I will make known what has been made known to me. Because a burden will only go so far to free me from my selfishness. And good theology too often gets hung up in my mind and doesn't motivate my heart. But when I am overwhelmed with the presence of Jesus Christ, I will speak of him. And so here's a Christmas prayer for you this Christmas. I want you to pray these words to God. I want you to ask him for this. I want you to say, God, 
like the shepherds, I want to encounter your presence. God, I want you to surprise me with your presence. I want you to speak to me. God, I want you to reveal yourself to me in fresh new ways. And, and God, I, wanna, I want your word to speak truth to me about who you are. And God, I'm asking you to touch me. God, I want your, your touch on my life. I want you to, God, I want you to wash over my life in a fresh way. And God, I'm asking you to fill me with your spirit and to make me useful for your glory. And when we encounter the presence of God, I want to tell you, we will make known what has been made known to us.